Hi everyone, welcome to another Broken English podcast. It's pretty clear who I am. I'm Hugo and I'm also here with a certain man named Bola. I hope you guys know who I am too. If not, we'll work on that. So we recorded a podcast last week, which we both really enjoyed, but it didn't turn out audio wise the way we wanted. And of course, we're trying to improve the quality that we're giving everyone and make it to be as clear as it possibly can be. So we scrapped that one. We might cover some of the topics that we've spoken about on that one, but if we don't, that would just be one of those gems that you'll never hear, and we'll be like most conversations that go away into the ether. Now, I'm curious, Bola, as to whether you want to start this one with the conversation about nostalgia or the conversation about race. Right. So, let's start the one about the nostalgia. Okay. Because that was the... That was the one I brought up the first time, and I remember I remember the most, and probably have more probably have more to talk about. <laughs> let's just say, or just as but just as about as much as the other topic too. But um, that that notion came to me a while ago because I was remembering for myself when I first saw The Godfather, and this was probably this was definitely like what when did the first Godfather come out? mid or early 70s mid to early 70s right and i saw it i believe i saw it um early 2000s right so way past its prime and i remember watching it and even though this movie was about 30 years old at this 30 years old at that time i was just like man this is like one of the greatest movies i've ever seen ever and mm-hmm. it just kind of so just looking back at that time I'm, it started making me think that um how much does watching a film at a certain period of time uh, play a factor in how much you actually like it when you, especially when you look back again, or especially when you watch it again, right? Because there's some things that are just near dear to me. And then I just, I do wonder, it's like, well, if I watch this, if I watch this film now, would it, would it, uh, will it, would it, uh, if I watched it now for the first time, would I actually like it as much as I did when I first, first watched it, especially when it first came out? Um, what was it? Well, another one, <laughs> another one. I think what got me thinking about this too is when I was watching the recent uh, RoboCop, the the new one. And then it made me watch the original one, and I still loved it. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking to myself, I wonder, you know, if I watched this for the first time now, would I actually still love it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, from my perspective, um, it is the age in which you watch something. If you watch it as a child or if you watch it with certain life experience, you have a different view. You have either a a much more forgiving view or you have, if you're a bit older, more cynicism and more picking apart the story. Again, it also plays into the role of what type of audience member you are. I'm the type of audience member to try and buy everything as the world um, that is being created for me. There are many other people that end up looking at these things and just basically picking it apart and going, no, no, that wouldn't happen and that wouldn't happen. And there's no way he would wear that. Mm -hmm. And there's no way he, she would do that, etc. But yeah, yeah, definitely. You're right. Yeah. Um, I was going to make a point that, um, what the other thing I noticed, but the other thing I, but I also noticed it could be the opposite too. And that's the thing. Um, you can watch something that you really were into 
uh, before, but then you watch it again and it's like it's perfect example of something that's just now cringy because of, you know, certain sentiments have changed since you since this movie came out, right? So mm -hmm. you watch something with a certain amount of like homophobia or um or even uh yeah, racial stereotypes and things like that and it's like it's it's become it's harder to watch it because now you have you just know either for yourself or you just know the so the current climate makes it this film uh taboo or more taboo than it is but i wonder necessarily whether that's to speak on the film or the film's quality because of course if you if you have any sort of depiction of a time um and something is based around a time you're going to have a situation where there are those antiquated views but it's the material itself that can still work. Like you can still have a film which has antiquated views that works by itself. I think though, what we were sort of referring to last time also alluded to the films you watched as a child. So watching like the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films, et cetera, when you're a kid yeah. and seeing what impact that did or didn't make in terms of the film's quality versus watching it now. You have to sort of think whether or not going into that, you would still be able to have the same thing. Or was it the childlike wonder of it's, the way a film is portrayed? Some films I have, I, I, some, some films I question that more than others. Cause if I did watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first one, I think I would still like it and still love it. But, um, I just wonder for a film like that, um, if I watched it, I, if I watched it for the first time right now, would it? have the same and just also also bear in mind you have to keep in mind something like mood right as you get older i think it's like it's it's like it's harder to keep yourself more open and uh uh receptive to certain things right especially in modernity and in our day-to-day -day lives so i'll just say i'll remove that factor and just say your maximum you're 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 open and you're receptive I think those films will hold up because I feel like those there's just something timeless about those films. I, I completely agree. I think that any film which is worth anything will mm -hmm. stand the test of time. If if a film is done well, yeah. if a story is told well, you look at all examples in literature. Right. There are books that you read now that were written hundreds of years ago there are books that were written in various points within the 1900s and novels yeah um what when did uh tolkien uh write lord of the rings was it like the, i i forget i it was like i don't know exactly or something? Or it could be i think it was somewhere along those lines yeah um but nevertheless you look at those and those stand the test of time they stand the test of time because a well-told tale yeah with interesting characters and a scenario which is well presented, they're eternal. Yeah. They they cannot stop going. I mean, you cited The Godfather, The Godfather Part One and The Godfather Part Two are two of the best films ever made. And again, neither of us were alive when they came out. Right. Yeah. And... But we watched them, you know, I watched it in my early twenties. I don't know when you watched it Same yourself. Here. Um and it had an indelible impact. Those were done spectacularly. Yeah. There's something about a film done well. Um, I don't think that necessarily... I think the timing plays a bit of a role in that um, we were referencing it the other time on the podcast when we spoke about The Hunt. 
which was a film which was delayed for a year because of the fact that it was to do with hunting people down and shooting them. And it was at a time when uh, it was surrounding one of America's endless amounts of mass shootings. And of course, they found it inappropriate to release it at said time, mm-hmm. partly because of the worry about ramifications, but also do people really want to know something which is meant to be done in jest, which is meant to be over the top, which is meant to be a joke about sort of Republicans and Democrats, etc., at a point where things are at such a fever pitch. So I think more in terms of the release of something matters rather than um, a film's quality by itself. Well, this is a big thing that that, um, even as a filmmaker, especially as a filmmaker, that you have to be considered of. It's like, when is this coming out, right? What's the climate like? What's the climate right now when it comes to this film that you're trying to make, right? Because I think that plays a huge, huge part in what's going to mm. happen with a film and whether it's going to be good or not. Because um, if something about it, it doesn't resonate with the... I think you can capture a lot of people if you do something that's really resonating with a lot of people at the moment, you know, certain right, things, certain topics, but then there's also that other factor where you can have something and you can do something and, you know, culture is changing really quickly. You know, what can be, what was, what was, what was appropriate now and a year later, it could be just totally inappropriate. But again, that sort of caters towards whether the film is something which is only worth being around in the moment whether it happens to capture that bolt of lightning, et cetera, or whether it is something which is worthwhile that you will be able to revisit, like a godfather, like um, a Scarface. Like, there are many, many films. I'm trying to reference ones which don't happen to be unnecessarily violent. Um, American Beauty, for example, that's one. That can stand the test of time. Uh, Fight Club, Fight. again, Fight. watch that at any point. Again, they're violent. Maybe that says more about me than it does. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm on the same page with those films, though. There's, I mean, there's there's definitely non-violent <laughs> examples that we could just pull through, but but I'm sure... I seem to be springing to mind at this particular <laughs> it's not, time. It's not coming to mind. <laughs> Everything that comes to my mind is like uh, there was some violence in it. Like The Matrix is another one that's timeless. But uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, but, but very violent. Um, damn it. Um, <laughs> so it's like mean Streets, Taxi Driver. Uh, I'm sure we... Uh, there's. I know there's things that I've watched that definitely were timeless and I think timeless and were definitely non-violent. But uh, but you were saying that. But what were you saying about those films? You can take them and put them at any time period, and they will still hold up. I think, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Because I, I think that you could see a new generation even sourcing from it. Oh well, yeah, and if you see anyone see these films at the moment, I I have not seen people turn around. And there will be people with this opinion, but I haven't people seen people turn around and have the opinion of those films going, ah, oh, they're awful. You mean in our generally in the newer on, generation or people who are Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contemporaries. Contemporaries. Well, I've seen these films. I just see from what I see in the landscape that there's a lot of sourcing it. Like how many times do you see like for example, another timeless okay. I think maybe that's something we found something that's not as violent. Back to the future. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you, I see that being sourced all the time now, right? Right. You see how you see the DeLorean popping up in so many music videos and films, even right? Or things, mm-hmm. so many types. And these are, yeah, these are, and these are mostly things that are coming from the the current generation or the newer generation. Well, I mean, Spielberg's um, catalog, Jurassic Park, E.T., all these films like that. Um, What was the one you were referencing? That's right. I just, I saw Close Encounters. This was another reason why I was fascinated about this topic, because I watched for the first time just a couple of months ago, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And to me, it was like, wow, that was a really great film. And this was something that was done in the 70s, wasn't it? It was the 70s or 80s. I'll just double check. Um, but it was somewhere. It was somewhere in that decade, and those every and obviously the technology was dated, right? But seventy-seven, seventy-seven. It was clearly dated techn- technologically, but it's still to me, it still left an impression. Right, right. No, I thought that was an amazing film. Dustin Hoffman's um, character, uh, uh, the, the 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 story, the the, the pacing. Of, I mean, it was just like you know Spielberg at his one at his best yeah and i mean there are there are countless filmmakers and countless examples we can think of that you watch it now and it's superb uh, for example a lot of paul thomas anderson's films you know your magnolias boogie nights etc you watch them now they're brilliant they are really well done there will be blood really yes. well done really those films, I I would say, will test the t- will stand the test of time. And um, I think that's the thing. As I say, a well told story will resonate regardless. Yeah, yeah. It's just what I what I was kind of wondering about is like how much does a how much of like child, especially when you see something when you're younger or child, or when you were a child. Has it ever happened to you where you watch something that you really were into and then even over time now it's kind of that interest in it has diminished? Well, definitely there's the idea of the films you liked when you were younger, which were based around versions of cartoon characters or toys or things like that that I'm, I have no interest in now um, that I do think that I would have maybe enjoyed then. I also, what was it? I saw um, Howard the Duck or whatever. I never watched that. A couple of days ago. Um, I saw some of it. It's a very strange film, which happens to revolve around a duck. So not an animatronic, but a guy in a duck suit, maybe slight animatronics or something like that. Yeah. Being transported into the real world. Yeah. And he goes around and there's sort of tongue-in-cheek jokes about duck life versus human life and all these other things. And I remember finding it strange and interesting when I was younger. And I actually found it strange and interesting now. So I've never watched that one, but what made it It's It's interesting. Um, yeah, can you think of any examples? There's certain things that I know just it's probably maybe a little bit harder for me to get into like when i was when i was probably my up until probably mid 20s i was really into japanese anime uh-huh. 
and it's not like I'm I haven't stopped being, but it was just like there's just some things that I kind of look back, I kind of will see now, and I'm like, it's just mm, I'm not really. <laughs> it's like it doesn't it doesn't seem to resonate with me as much as it used to. Right. But there's some things that are still that are still there. Like for example, Ghost in the Shell. Like I can watch that or Akira. Did you watch the Scarlett Johansson version? I did. I actually, I think I'm the only one that liked it. <laughs> But I haven't seen it. It's um here's the thing. It was what um I for me, I've watched Ghost in the Shell a trillion times, right? And it never gets old for me, the anime. I can watch it, I'll probably watch it to the day I die, and it's still it gets better and better. It just ages like that, right? The the Scarlett Johansson one was basically almost shot for shot recreation of that original film. Which I was I mean <laughs> I was surprised. I thought they would. They, actually, I thought I thought they would meddle with it a lot. Like they would just do their, you know, how Hollywood they just pretty much take the IP and uh, run with it in their own ways. But it was basically almost like a scene for scene re- recreation uh, recreation of the original anime. So watching it, it was like, wow, this is just like watching the original anime, but it just in live uh, action. So I appreciated it on that front, but I can understand why it wasn't a box office smash because when you do that, you don't really bring a whole lot of new things to the table because this mm-hmm. movie was done in like 1995 or something. The original, sorry, the original anime was done in 1995. So it wasn't, so, I mean, we've seen all, we've seen sci-fi evolve from that, right? So it didn't bring anything new or different to the table. I, I don't think it brought anything new to anybody who uh who hasn't seen it so Mm -hmm. maybe that's probably i that's just one of my theories why it wasn't a huge hit right um Um, i'm also curious sort of slightly tangenting from that weren't they meant to be making a kira yeah they've been talking about that for a long time i was in pre-production i think probably probably maybe they should (laughs) I, I, like I said, I, I'm. You know how apprehensive I am about these I'm, remakes. I'm just gonna look this up. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to that for the longest time. Oh really? I remember. Yeah. When they when they when the talks about that were first happening way back, it was Leonardo DiCaprio that was attached to it. I didn't realize that came out in '88. Yeah. Um. It's... Yeah, Leonardo, sorry. Um, Akira is in development. Yeah. That's all it says. It's always been in development. <laughs> For how long, I don't know, but it's always been in development. So there are two things. Um, it's going to lead us into the next subject, but I'll also start with it, intertwining it with this subject. Um, Woody Allen. Now, I showed you the trailer for Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, you were into that. And I've started to watch more of his material. Now, he has a very specific way about him in the way he delivers jokes, in the way he goes on about things, all those other um, aspects. And with Woody Allen, I'm watching his films now. Again, I don't know whether it's whether it would have been more appealing to me at the time. I, I'm watching them because... I love the way he delivers jokes and I love the way he tells stories. But I do wonder, because some of the films are, um, they're paced very differently. 
which sort of makes me wonder with regards to your initial point, how much of a role what we used to seeing now plays because we we watch a film now we watch a tv show and it's got to be an inciting incident to grab us immediately we can't just have beautiful vistas we can't just have these long build-ups which slowly get us to where we're going whereas in yesteryear of cinema it would be we'll tell you about it and it doesn't matter if 10 minutes in we've given you this massive nugget to grab onto you're in here for the three hour long haul you're in here for the spectacular it is the winding story that we're going to tell you um i wonder if we've just in the sort of youtube generation etc lost all our patience and that your argument about when you watch a film whether nostalgia is playing a role or it's the climate, I wonder if it extends to that margin as well. That's a very good point. Um, <laughs> that's the one of the things I worry a lot about um, the climate right now when it comes to uh, film, film, and uh, let's just say call it film, right? Whether it's just television, music videos, or things like that. It's like the, the lack of uh, the audience at the the attention span of the audience seems to be diminishing. And you might find yourself finding it harder to keep people's attention on things. Mm-hmm. But that being said, it's, um, I think if the story is engaging the subject matter and the story or the characters are engaging enough, it, it, it will still hold, it would still hold the audience. Um, because I think if I, like if, for example, you watch a TV show. Sometimes, you know, it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And sometimes you can have a whole season where nothing really major happens until like the middle of the season. For me, like watching, like when I first started watching Homeland, I I barely made it through the first beginning of it because it just didn't seem a lot was going on. It just seemed to be building up to something, right? Little by little. But there wasn't all these there wasn't all these little uh, tricks that they were using to just keep your attention. It was just building up on its at its own pace, as I found. And I think that also plays to the type of audience watching it. Right. Because there are people that watch things and need the titillation and they need to have the immediate, ooh, there was an explosion. I, there I, was that. There I, was that. Exactly. And I'm saying sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of that too, where it's like sometimes like, my attention span seems to be... <laughs> it could be it could be a bit dodgy at times right but certain subject matters is like to me i demand i mean if i i i enjoy that slow pace like i enjoy the I think, spy thriller where things are building up right i think also though you as a viewer are a lot more forgiving than me um, I won't spend two hours on a film I'm not into. I won't go into it. Like, if it's not doing it for me, I leave it because there's too much choice. And I think that's both a good thing and a bad thing. So you bail it's a bad on a... thing. Pardon? You, so you bail on a, You would bail on something you're watching. I may. And that may be to my own detriment because the thing is that some of these films, like there are some awful, awful, awful movies. There are some abysmal productions oh, that just what are aren't worth about? the time. <laughs> You know it. Um, what is this? But the fact is, is 
there are instances, especially with the older generation, as in the older generation of movies, whereby you need to be there to sit through whatever to get where you're going to go. Because then when you get there, mm-hmm. it's superb. Like The Godfather as well, exactly. it was a rambling thing which became superb. I remember watching it and then it's like I was taking note of things and it's like, you know, you have just... There's not a lot of action in the movie, but it's like there's just scenes, there's long scenes where it's just people talking you know, doing things, and it's just, it's, um, but it's, like, something about it just, it's, like, hypnotizing, mm-hmm. and, like I said, it, there's just, there's not a whole lot of big, there's, there's not a whole lot of action, there's not a big, like, bits, big set pieces and motifs, it's just, I mean, there are some, but, there are some, but most of the move, most of the movie is just, like, this somber pacing of, just somber, slow pacing of things, and things just happen, but you're just for some for a multiple of multiple reasons you're just hypnotized by it. So on my docket next, um, hopefully I'll get to see it today. I've never seen it. I want to see a streetcar named Desire from 1951, and I'm curious as to how that will play out in terms of pacing. I haven't seen that one. Um, a streetcar named the the original. I yes. believe the the Spielberg is no 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 that's that's West Side Story never mind I haven't seen a streetcar named Desire but uh, just just to jump to something what really tested my patience re- my attention span recently was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right and I know I wasn't the only person uh, there yeah no I said the same thing to you it it was it I haven't seen a movie that I don't think I've even seen a movie like that before where it was just like that and i'll be honest with you it was like it was i felt like it was a bit of a struggle in the first half because it was just well how would you describe it the first thing i said to uh my girlfriend and my friend when i saw the film was i don't know whether i'd have given this time to anyone else <laughs> exactly um, i think that was that of, was one of my thoughts too because the thing is is i love tarantino and I was very mixed on the film when I exited it. Um, But it was what we were just alluding to with regards to the slow build-up and that it wasn't in any way... I mean, he has done that before. He did that with Death Proof as well. But the slow build-up of when is this going to grab me? Yeah. When it did, it became great. And then if you re-watch the film or you re-watch trailers or anything like that, you're like, actually, that was pretty fucking great. That's the thing, um... I do want to watch it again, but um, I don't think it built it. I don't think it built up to anything, and that was the art of it. It was just doing its own thing. I I felt it did build up to a pretty interesting and fun ride of a story. I mean, it was and when I look back at it, I was like, yeah, I actually appreciated it. But I don't. For me, I felt like it didn't build up. It wasn't trying to build up to anything. It ended with a bang, but I don't think it. Felt like it was trying to build up to anything. It was just, it was just there doing its own thing for the most part, and you're just there for the ride. And it was surprising how there was just long. There were just things that that were this there, and they weren't really even meant to even serve the main story, right? Right. Inserts and shots of things and 
uh, bits and pieces here where I have to rewatch it. But it was just, it to me, it was just kind of like, well, I haven't seen something like this in a while. Or, I, or ever, maybe. I think that's what um, makes cinema and movies so magical is the the lack of a real um, discernible standard. Because when you say in terms of parts that add to the story and, and that sort of view, that's kind of from the screenwriter's advisory and Bible of keep everything relevant, keep everything this, keep everything that. However, the magic in films, especially from yesteryear, wasn't everything had to be particularly story driving. It wasn't everything had to be there. We could have things which were irrelevant but were beautiful to see. We could have pieces that we really enjoyed as they just showed us them. We could have ridiculousness of someone having a scotch at 9 a.m. And, and deciding to go for a stroll, etc. We could have things like that, and it would be captivating to watch. But now what we're expecting when we see things like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for example, is everything being added as if it's uh, a weight being placed on a scale to eventually tip it upwards to then go, okay, well, that's done then. Hmm. That's the right weight. Right, right. It, it really, it's, it's interesting. It's a ride. It's, it was an interesting ride, to say the least. And I know a lot of people had a hard time with it. And I I was wondering, too, it was like, if this was another filmmaker, would I have given this the, the time of day? And that's the question I came out with as well. Probably I didn't not. think I necessarily would. Probably not. <laughs> there are many examples where I have spent 10 minutes on a film because it's gone nowhere. <laughs> 10 minutes um, <laughs> yeah I've, I've gone into a film um I've typically been... not in a cinema typically not when i've paid for it when i'm paid to go see the film right. i'll probably sit there for the two hours of torture i've only walked out on a film once in my life I'm trying to think if i've walked out on any in the theaters i've walked out on films that i've snuck into <laughs> <laughs> but i'm trying to think if i have walked out on any film outright no, I don't think I have. Even really, really uncomfortable watches I have sat through if it's in a theatre. Mm -hmm. If it's watching it at home, like a rental yeah. or on Netflix or something like that, I'll turn it off. I'm not going to spend two hours watching a film I don't like. <laughs> Whereas you, on the other hand, you have the patience to actually go through it. I, I don't. I just, for me, it's like, I have this window where I know a film is going to do good or not. Like, I just know. I just know. But doesn't that contradict the argument that we were making with regards to older films? In regards to? Older films, if you have a set window. No, I, it's like, for me, I just know, I have a set window where I know a film is going to make it or not. Okay. Uh, not in terms of, like, bailing, but I just know when a film is going to, I could just tell within, if it's doing, I could just tell within, let's say, I'll just say I'll throw an arbitrary number here. Within the first 25 minutes, I know whether a film is going to be good, great, going to be bad, good, or great. I just know. If, if it's not, if I, within that window, I'm going to know, I feel like. But it doesn't, it doesn't, but like I said, if I know it's going to be a terrible film, I'm still going to... If I know it's not doing well at that part, past that point, it's just like I'll stay just to see where this goes. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I will. because for me, it's like I, I'm just a, 
for me, I um, I source when I'm writing and or being creative from other films. I've like I said, I've seen films that are terrible, but something there'll be something there. Like, oh, I like that, and just throw it in the database. Yeah, I, I'm not always doing that. Um, I'm sort of going back and forth trying to get these things digested to a point where I do or don't like the story. I like to be completely absorbing the piece by itself <laughs> rather than... Even um, dog shit? Well, if it is, I'm not going to bother with it. <laughs> but, you, well, sometimes you just don't know. I think at a certain point you do, like when the dialogue is awful and when... Oh, I mean um, coming coming into it. You know, coming into it, you won't. Yeah. But you will as you start to go through it. Like yeah. if you have someone say something which is completely over-the-top exposition that isn't interesting or done well or anything like that, you see a predictability that doesn't flow, mm-hmm. any of those sorts of things, it's just sort of, it's not doing it for me. So I'm going to watch one of the million of other options. What did you, uh, did you, did you, uh, when you were on Prime the other day, what did you watch? I think we ended up just watching, um, we went back onto Netflix and ended up watching a Scottish TV comedy called Still Game. <laughs> so you build from Gemini Man to that. Was it that scary? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't end up watching Gemini Man. Yeah. I saw it there yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, that was the one Bowler wanted to see and he said he was very mixed on. And then I was just like, yeah. I don't know. I, I it was one of those films where it's just like this is a this is a really interesting premise and interesting premise and it had some redeeming points about it, but as as just as a story and a film, it was just like it just did it just and Ang Lee. I was like, okay, Ang Lee, Will Smith. I mean, come on, like this is a this should be a recipe for some magic here, but <laughs> you know, I guess you can't yeah. always hit a home run, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you see uh, the news about Joel Schumacher? Yeah, he passed away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had quite a catalogue as well. Yeah, but the only... Falling Down, Lost Boys. The thing is, I've only seen from him... I've only seen two films from him. One was great, one was not. Uh, What was the not? Was it two? Oh, sorry, it was three films. The two Batmans that he did. Right. I haven't seen those. You haven't. You haven't. Seen I haven't seen the Joel Schumacher Batman's. I've seen Tim oh, Burton. Haven't. I've seen Christopher Nolan. I have not seen his ones. Have you seen the Burton ones? Yeah, I've oh, seen okay. the Tim Burton and I've seen um, the Christopher Nolan, but I haven't seen the oh, Joel you, Schumacher. You've never seen the Joel Schumacher ones. See, Batman, no. Batman Forever was like okay. It's it was um. Was that the Schwarzenegger Carey one? No, that was Batman and Robin. That was the Oh, <laughs> uh, Batman Forever was like, okay, yeah, it was all right. It, it wasn't the Burton ones, but it was like, okay, I can do with this. But Batman and mm-hmm. Robin was like, just, <laughs> it was just a punch in the teeth. <laughs> I'll just be honest. It was just a punch in the teeth and everybody knew it. Even George, George Clooney to this day will even be the first person to admit it, right? When he said, I think we killed this franchise. But he did, he did, he did win, uh, win me over with, uh, what was that one he did with Colin Farrell? Where he's in the, I think it was just called Phone Booth, wasn't it? Oh, he did Phone Booth. Yeah, that was him. 
Yeah, him, it was Colin Farrell and Forrest Whitaker, right? I can't remember. Was it Forrest Whitaker? But I love that film because one of the things that was great to me, it was like, holy shit. This was a movie that pretty much was 90% uh, in one location. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was uh, Joel Schumacher starring Colin Farrell and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, it was great because here was a film. To me, I loved it in so many ways because this was a film... As a filmmaker, I was watching it. I was like, holy shit, I can just make a really engaging film that takes place in one location. And it was well done by, well played by Colin Farrell. I mean, uh, the the story was engaging. The scenario was just, just you know, something that hooked you. And I, I'm sure it was done for like, you know, pennies, right? In comparison, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that was like, I, it's one of the times I remember. I was like, holy shit, it was just like, that was really great. And it was just stripped down one little it was just it was pretty driven by this one simple setup mm-hmm. one location one you know one scenario and it had me and it had me there the whole time so i was like wow he's really redeemed himself in my book <laughs> coming from bat like literally the last thing i saw from him was batman and robin right <laughs> and then, what's uh important is you get a filmmaker like that and they actually no filmmaker, well, few filmmakers are going to be able to have a catalog where everything is brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And and you have to understand that, yeah, not everything is going to be a home run. But it was, and I understand probably with, I don't know what happened on those uh, films, but, you know, when you're doing with those big budget, you know, spectacles, a lot of hands get in there and it becomes bloated and it's easy to lose yourself in those things, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's a testament to his abilities and his his his, uh, his artistic his creativity and his um, you know in his art because like I said um, I thought Batman and Robin was just just you know hard to watch because it was just right. so monumentally bad but <laughs> but you know you could say Phone Booth was like a masterpiece mm-hmm. so it shows that tells you a lot about what's going on in that in terms of you know yeah, it's all about creativity, creativity as well i mean if you if you push it over to the other side of the spectrum and you go into music for example you have artists who have put out a lot of material and you have say 70 percent, which is great or you have artists that put out next to nothing and 100 percent is great yeah. it's easy to be consistently great if you aren't doing much material true yeah so which is so carry on no which is uh, i was just saying which is a great point is that quantity over quality yeah quality over quantity and that's the thing because you would you look at schumacher's uh catalog of films and as you say again i haven't seen batman forever but he had a few films which weren't up to par and he had some which really were but he had an extensive enough catalog for you to be able to go well he wasn't sitting down doing nothing all day <laughs> right. he was making more material right some of it hit some of it missed yeah, that's so, fine yeah you have to, you know, just some of the things you have to understand is just like in any kind of art or any type of thing you're making or if you're just making anything not everything is gonna be a home run sometimes and that's why yeah that's why you have to take the approach of i'm just gonna get it done <laughs> yeah yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you get it done, you get it done, right? Precisely. I just, I so that, just, I just love that he can go from something like that to something like that. Was remarkable. 
So that brings us on to um, Woody Allen. I have just, I'm almost done his autobiography. And in a couple of ways, that very much links with what we just mentioned too, in terms of the studio participation, their hands in it or their hands not in it, and the idea of just getting it done. Mm -hmm. Now, Woody Allen, of course, is fraught with an absolute fallacy of a scandal, according to what he says, and also according to what the um, criminal investigation said. Yeah. Now, I, for one, obviously, I'm talking from the perspective of someone who has heard his words and heard the other side's words, but also there are court documents attesting to his innocence. And not just that, there he was allowed to adopt two girls after allegedly being charged with something. That doesn't seem to add up if there is something that the authorities would deem to be the case versus not to be the case, why would they then allow later on, unless he was exonerated, the adoption to take place? His autobiography, apropos of nothing, is fantastic. And they tried to shelve it. Um, the previous publisher decided they weren't going to publish it, which I think is rather unfair. The reason why I think it's unfair is if you get accused of something, Mm-hmm. and you get cleared. If the accusation is maintained, that doesn't mean that in a court of law you have not been cleared. Well, yeah. It's, well, we could say also that, you know, just because you've been proven Ill, uh, innocent in a court doesn't mean you are innocent. OJ Simpson. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> true and absolutely valid. Yeah. But we I'll, tend to have a, Sorry. I'm just going to say this full disclosure. I don't know enough. I'm not, I can't say I know a lot about the whole Woody Allen thing. I've never, I've never watched any of his films and I've kind of kicked myself for not doing that uh, because it looked like I missed out on a lot of classics and this whole thing with the child, with, with the, the pedophilia and, and the allegations and things like that. I just haven't gone into it enough to, 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 to come with an opinion to, to, right. to draw anything from it because everything I've seen has just been headlines and sound bites and antidotes. Right. And right. I haven't dug into it. So from my perspective, I have looked into it mm-hmm. because I've been a fan of the arts for a very long time. Yeah. I think he's a very witty, funny individual. Yeah. He seems um, I think, I think some of his films are superb. Right. Um, and yeah, I really like his stuff. And so I proceeded to look into the accusations and also to listen to the autobiography, which is available as an audiobook and as a physical book. I wanted to listen to the audiobook because he has a very unique voice, a very New York voice and a unique storytelling manner. Yeah. The thing that really stood out though is um, barring that particular section of controversy which again, if you read or listen to the book, is fascinating. As a filmmaker, he w- he's always been one to go, yeah, no, I've got one agreement. If I have any distribution or if I have any cash, you have no say. Hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to write this. 
You don't have a say on the material. We're not going to go back and you're going to give me a thousand notes going, oh, well, I think she should look like this or he should look like this or we should cast this person or we should cast that person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. He has the people he works with. He has his casting director and he makes the stuff. Yeah. He also doesn't pay attention to reviews, which mm. I think is also very valid for a filmmaker. Yeah. Because the thing is, opinions, as the phrase has gone many a time, are like assholes. Everyone's got one. <laughs> and so if you're worried about what other people think, you're not going to be focused on your material itself. You're not going to be creating organically. Yeah. You're going to be thinking, oh, well, what will so-and-so react this way? Or how will so-and-so react that way? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's the, I mean, that's, and I think you have to do that for that kind of, filmmaker because he makes a specific kind of product right mm -hmm. you know he makes this is this is a specific kind of product that he makes and yeah you you can't go in there trying to interfere with it you have to let him do his thing i mean it's like it, for example a wes anderson uh, wes anderson film it's a specific kind of thing don't fuck with it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Don't don't try any, don't try to get your hands into it. It's a specific thing that has to go a specific way for audiences that appreciate this kind of film. So don't right. even think about putting your hands into it. Yeah, and I think the thing with him is he has he's literally made a film a year for fifty years. Is he still fifty acting? films? Is he still acting in them? Uh, not not in well actually not in the last ones i've seen i don't think i saw him at all yeah um maybe actually not for a while i know he still acts every now and again yeah but more it, seems so like, it's, it seems like he hasn't been acting in them but you're just directing them right and writing them yeah like, writing and directing yeah and uh they tend to have huge commercial success outside of the u.s mm -hmm. i see and the problem with the controversy that's surrounded him for the past 30 years um it ends up entering into the court of public opinion and yeah it just it ends up being something very hard to how do you defend an accusation like that whether it's true or false and then have it completely wash away from you yeah no it's uh, it's like roman polanski right um, it's, when you have that out there on your name, it's just it's it's almost damn near impossible to wash it off, right? And you're just completely tainted with that. Yeah, and it's also the idea of uh, there have been different things where he got dragged into sort of the Me Too movement and tagging him along the lines of Weinstein, etc. Yeah, who it, it's not the same beast. It's not the same thing. Um, and I think that really has to be ascertained. You have to evaluate things on a case-by-case -case basis and really check all the variables. Um, and as I say, I would very much recommend his autobiography to anyone that wishes to see his side of it. I have read both sides. I in no way think the accusations levied are smaller and significant. Um, and again, what what what, what what does he talk about in his auto i guess his autobiography he just talks about his yeah life. he talks about how he became uh, how his childhood was how he became a comedian and then 
filmmaking and then big things in life after that. Right. So it's fascinating. Does he address but, the controversies? Oh, big time. Okay. Big time. He really gets into the meat of trying his best to break apart the illegitimacy of the claims mm-hmm. and going into the court documents, going into the judges' hearings, going into this, that, and the third, and what was found. Right. And of course, you know, we don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole because of the fact that um, it's a hard subject to debate if you're not actually a part of it. Yeah. But again, what more can you really do apart from say, this is what the findings were, um, and then this person was allowed to adopt, and then this person was allowed to this and was allowed to that. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard thing to properly speak about. I, I wish I wish I I wish I knew more about it to to because I can start I can start talking about it but it could be but it will be from a place where it's like I don't think I have enough knowledge and understanding of that whole situation. And I think that's a very good uh, position to take. And especially if you when... haven't if you haven't done any research yeah. then don't have an opinion. Especially when it comes to something that's very very sensitive and controversial like this, right? Definitely. I'd rather kind of just err the side of caution, knowing that how much I don't know about it. I think that's the right way to go. Yeah. I'm not always that smart. <laughs> <laughs> and that might be why we have an audience, because we uh, <laughs> speak frankly. But I, I, think I was, was going to say something, but that, that, might just, that might just segue into another two hours of something else. <laughs> It is a podcast. I don't know. I was just like, I was going to make a 5G joke, but, you know. Oh. <laughs> so. Just, just seeing some of those, just when those things come up to me, it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a hard thing. I mean, right. one of my friends that I really do love dearly is completely on this bandwagon, and I don't understand how. I that, do not understand I'm, how. I'm, I'm going to explore that some sometime, uh, sometime soon. Just to, that whole wonderful I mean, world. We are at the point whereby when we talk, we cannot talk about those subjects because I cannot tolerate the unfathomable, um, just gripping at straws of conspiracy theories and the delving into just such ludicrous things. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a fascinating it's a fascinating topic and a fascinating uh, uh, world there, in and itself. Yes, definitely so. <laughs> All right, so we are gonna leave you guys until next week. You have been listening to a Broken English podcast with the one and only Bola, and any point, Bola. Um... Sorry, I'm having a Joe Biden moment. Oh, Hugo. Hugo. Yes. 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 That's who you are. Also, am... George Carlin's uh <laughs> stunt body. Yeah, apparently from a distance. <laughs> um so yeah, everyone take care and we will speak to you next week. Thanks for watching, guys and gals. Until next time. <laughs>